0: Hello, this is Paul Banks Fair and this is the IPA podcast. This week we're talking about the thing we all want, and that's business growth. How to get it, and who's worth listening to on the subject. On July the 10th, we'll be running our IPA business growth conference, and as an appetizer, I spoke to Mark Knorr, the CEO of Fold7 and chairman of our commercial leadership group, about what's in store. So Mark, we're putting together the, the commercial conference for later on this year in the summer. Um, I suppose really, I should ask you, you're out there on the coalface. Is it, is it hard to make money these days? Is it, are we making an appropriate amount of money for the work that we do? Is, is there an issue there that we need to address, I suppose, is the question?
1: I think it's difficult to generalize. I think some agencies are struggling to the point where their business viability is in question uh, and other agencies are making a respectable sum of money. But I think that the pressures on agencies, the commercial pressures on agencies, have never been greater. Um, And for that reason, the commercial conference and the work we do around this is invaluable, in my
0: opinion. And when you say, Commercial pressures. Give, give us an example of one or two things that you think are conspiring to make it more difficult to make the sort of margin that would seem respectable.
1: I mean, I think first of all there are massive downward cost pressures on clients, um, partly as a result of competition, um, and that inevitably fle- feeds through to agencies. Uh, I think the the uh, consequence of the digital rev- revolution. Uh, has meant that all sorts of things are now possible uh, for uh, clients to do themselves and there's been massive disintermediation. And I think that the number, sheer number of outputs that, requ- that cl- uh, agencies are required to produce um, introduces a whole level of complexity uh, that simply increases cost.
0: And do you think that that the the sort of thrill of the chase and the the desire to win a piece of business sometimes overrides good business practice. um, And that we therefore have ourselves to take some of the blame by agreeing to do things for, uh, should we say, less than we should be asking for.
1: Totally. I mean, I think we we are colluding and not in a good way, if that's possible, for a a quasi-trade association. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think that there is it is an oversupplied market, and I think that we don't help ourselves in the way that we compete, sometimes cannot help ourselves. Recently, there was an event put on by uh, one of the um, intermediaries where a whole bunch of agency heads were invited, and in the Q&A afterwards, there was an example of really poor practice. Uh, one of the uh, uh, agency leaders, an IPA member, put his hand up and said, how about we just all refuse
0: to pitch? Who's with me? <laughs> no <laughs> one put their hand up. That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. I mean... We, we tried to, I mean, obviously there is anti-competitive behaviour, so we have to be careful, but we tried to get a debate going about these, um, these auctions, you know, that some clients have been holding, uh, where you're basically being encouraged to, to keep bidding lower and lower. And there was quite, a, quite an appetite, I must say, to refuse to do such auctions. But there's always one. There's always one that might just have lost a big account or whatever and feels that they've got to, you know, rather than let people go, they'd rather take some uh, business on on the wrong terms. And that, of course, just creates the problem that we're, that we're talking about. Anyway, let's not get too negative. Um, Indeed. There, there, are, there are problems out there. I think the, 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 this whole idea that clients are perhaps too often seeing advertising uh, as a cost rather than an investment. I mean, I... I'd I'd like to say uh, we're here to make the money, not save the money. Uh, but you do find, don't you, that they are they're looking at every single line of expenditure, and they're being encouraged by their finance directors to, to to make reductions. And you know we're we're an easy target in that sense.
1: We are an easy target, and I think sometimes we don't make it easy for ourselves. I think there are two components here. The first is. There were practices within Adland of yesteryear that uh, quite rightly um, don't exist anymore. I I think the kind of the worst excesses of advertising agencies um, uh, are difficult to justify and quite rightly we need to be running businesses along sensible lines including our costs. Um, I don't see much of that kind of excess around anymore. I think it's largely been um, beaten out of the system. Secondly, uh, I think we have a responsibility to ourselves to improve uh, and to be able to have sensible conversations with clients about the value that we bring. If we're not talking to clients about the value that we create for their businesses, we're having the wrong conversation. And the IPA realises that, and it's one of the reasons why the IPA um, sponsored long and short of it study is, is now the kind of commercial backbone of these sorts of arguments. Um, but uh, you're on a road to nowhere if you're simply talking about the cost of your operation without being able to justify its value.
0: Absolutely, uh, I know in some some of the recent conferences, commercial conferences that we that we've held, this has been a, a topic, which is uh, which we've examined very closely. This whole issue of of pricing, rather than getting into, you know, being paid for how much time you spend on something. Um, so I don't particularly want to go over that ground again because it's like a little ad for past podcasts here, but mm. it might be worth if you're interested in that. Looking back, um, there was one with Blair Enns, which was particularly interesting. We did about a year or so ago. But let's talk about this conference, the new one. Um, you've put together a fantastic. I mean, I, I would say this, wouldn't I? but I really do think it is a fantastic agenda, and there's some great, uh, great people coming to, to to talk to us. I'm particularly interested in um, in Brian Bacon. Having read, I mean, I don't know him, but I've read about him, and I know you know quite a lot more about him. Do you, can you talk a little bit about what we might hear from him?
1: Yes. Um, I mean, I think growth um, uh, in extraordinary times uh, is the is the broad theme. We've called it Business is Unusual, and there are all sorts of fantastic speakers, um, uh, as you say, Paul. Um, but I thought it was really important that as well as talking about the commercial pressures in which we operate and how we justify value, um, and uh, you know some of the emerging trends, that we actually start by understanding fundamentally our role as executives or as leaders in the mix. Um, because growth doesn't come from simply wishing for growth. Uh, growth comes from within, and that's certainly Brian's philosophy, abiding philosophy. Uh, Brian is um, a, an incredibly accom- accomplished business leader. Uh, Uh, consultant that has consulted to governments uh, uh, as well as uh, blue chip companies around the world Um, and he has a very very simple um, and powerful philosophy that starts with individual leaders uh, and their own personal growth and it connects that to the growth of their teams and their companies and ultimately their clients. I think for the delegates to this conference uh, I think that's a really powerful place to start um, because growth is not a a, uh, primarily Commercial activity that happens out there. Growth is something that we take personal responsibility for, and that's what um, Brian will be talking about.
0: Well, what's his background? How did he get into this world? Do you um,
1: have... uh, Brian is uh, an Australian um, uh, by way of origin who uh, found himself um, involved in the Vietnam War. What
0: um, <laughs>
1: indeed? Uh, a story uh, that you should probably ask him sometime. But it's an extraordinary story. Uh, that found himself involved in um, his personal journey of exploration, took him all over the world in all sorts of interesting experiences, both kind of corporate and spiritual, uh, but found himself uh, founding a consultancy, having worked with several blue-chip companies, uh, that consultancy being uh, Oxford Leadership. Um, uh, And he is consulting at the highest level to some uh, UK PLCs uh, and clients that we're all very familiar with, uh, as well as to some international businesses, uh, start, start-up businesses and and governments. If you look at his credentials, I think there's a South American president or two uh, who vouch for the wow. power of what Brian does.
0: And coaching, it, I mean, do you, do you, have you, am I right in thinking he may have given you some personal yeah, coaching? Yeah, indeed. And have you found that? Obviously you have, otherwise you wouldn't <laughs> ask him to come, but talk us a little bit about how that works. Well, in
1: fact, it started with a conversation um, with um, Ben Fennell, um, who up until recently was running BBH uh, and now, um, not uncoincidentally, has a growth consultancy right. uh, as his new business. And he was talking to me a little bit about how he was planning to um, encourage growth at BBH, you know, at a mature, advertising-oriented, creative business. Uh, and the more he spoke about it, the more um, impassioned he became. Uh, and I said to him, I would love to understand a little bit more about his sources. Um, and he uh, referred me uh, to uh, uh, an American academic psychologist um, called Carol Dweck, uh, and I went off to read about her and watch her TED Talk, which I commend to anybody. can talk a bit about that in a sec if you like. And he also um, recommended that I follow Brian Bacon, uh, and I tried to find a Brian Bacon TED Talk, and there wasn't one, and I tried to find a Brian Bacon book on Amazon and there wasn't one. So I he, leaves, to, he leaves no footprints. In, he just, indeed, indeed. He so, glides over the snow. So, yeah. so I, uh, I contacted Ben and said, I'm really sorry about this, um, but I'm struggling to follow this reference. And he said, that's because you have to meet him. Ah, that was the secret sauce. Right. So I organised to meet Brian um, and then we ended up doing some work together, which I found personally really, really um, useful.
0: So, a music someone. Carol who, Dweck. Talk about Carol. So,
1: I mean, I found her talk mind blowing, and in many ways, it made sense of quite a lot of things that I've been thinking about. Uh, for for those people listening who are familiar with um, people who have popularized the idea of growth mindsets, like Matthew Syed, the Times columnist, yes. uh, who's written two books on it, one called I think Bounce, and the other one, uh, The Black Box,
0: yeah.
1: or Black Box, uh, talking really about how organisations learn. Um, as it happens, Matthew Sides also applied this to kids and how kids can have a more positive outlook towards learning. And that's probably not a coincidence because his source, his inspiration is Carol Dweck. And Carol how, how Dweck, do you Dweck? How
0: do you D-W-E-K. So just in case, we want to look her up on TED. Um,
1: uh, and what's fascinating about her TED talk, and I then went on to read her book, um, she's now of course also realised the power of what she does and her latest book has got a whole chapter on business but her background, um, her origins are within psychology and education, and she studied a particular school in North America that was an underperforming school in all sorts of regards, and then suddenly made some kind of breakthrough with kids who came from um, challenging backgrounds. And what Carol Dweck concluded was they simply changed the school, changed changed the, um, the, the vocabulary, if you like, around performance, rather than talking about success and failure, or pass and fail in conventional exam terminology, they started talking to students about whether they had passed or not passed yet. The addition of the three-letter word, three letter word yet completely changed their approach to education. So kids had either passed or they hadn't passed yet. Not passing yet feels completely different to failure. And it was immediately powerful to me. I'm I'm into sports in quite a major way. I'm very interested as a, as a martial artist. I thought quite a lot about my own martial arts experience and some of the challenges that I've faced and how I've need to kind of needed to think my way into a positive space. And thought, actually, you know, when you, when you... I was about to say, use the word fail. When you use the F word, when you experience a setback, it's very easy to blame yourself, to potentially conclude that you're not cut out for it, whatever it might be, whether mm. it's martial arts or, or, or a business experience, having a tough experience with a client or a pitch. Um, but actually, if you conclude that you've simply still got some way to go, some some more that you can learn, uh, as I've said, whether it's the sporting domain or or the, or the business domain, it's immensely powerful. She then generalised that the mindset that this creates is called a growth mindset, as opposed to a fixed mindset. The fixed mindset assumes that we've got God-given talents. We can either do something or we can't. I can sing or I can't. I can play tennis or I can't. I can pitch or I can't. And and Carol Dweck says, it's not as simple as that. You can do things. There are some things that we're naturally gifted at, but the others you simply have to learn. And by having an, what you might call an open or a positive mindset and concluding that when you have a bad experience, it's just that you've yet to command it. You've yet to master the skills. So just keep trying and learn what you can. This philosophy, for want of a better word, had a revolutionary impact within this school in North America. Uh, and Carol Dweck studied it and her thinking is based on the contrast between global, uh, between fixed and growth mindsets. And once I was familiar with this um, lexicon, I started spotting it everywhere. It's so easy to see in day-to-day life, and in business, by the way, but sticking with day-to-day life for a second, people using an everyday language, well, of course, I'm no good at that. It, whatever it is, you know, art, a foreign language, whatever. And actually, they probably concluded it, at this at an unfeasibly young age, where they were just told by a crap teacher you're never going to cut it, Baines Fair, you're never going to make, you know, Wimbledon or whatever it might be. Um, and simply changing that mindset has an immensely powerful impact. We now translate this to the business domain where it's very, very clear that to be competent at everything is almost impossible. But it's clearly possible for you to improve your performance. There was an agency that did brilliantly and I think, in the school report this year in Campaign. Campaign observed that three years ago they got a two or a three out of nine score. Well, clearly they did something, didn't they? What did they do? Did they conclude that it was a terminal case and they should shut down? No, they clearly improved their leadership teams, improved the way that they were working, and they worked themselves up. And it's that psychology that's at the heart of progress and therefore growth.
0: It's, I've, I mean, you've just described very eloquently. I think what we've heard a lot from the Silicon Valley boys this this notion that failing is 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 perfectly okay because it's you know the number of fails you have is really just a measure of how far are you away from succeeding, you know, and that you learn from, from these things. And of course it's true, but sometimes, and you know, I know we fall back on sports a lot, you know, you, people keep telling you the same thing and it's, you need a coach that can say it in a way that connects with you, don't Mm, you? And mm. then suddenly, you know, literally Mm. things fall from your eyes and you can see things more clearly. So I, I totally get what you're saying, um, and, I, and I, I love this idea of, um, you know, you haven't passed yet. Mm. Uh, and I imagine you're probably using, are you using that as a management technique now on your own people.
1: Well, I, I am. I mean, not conspicuously using that language yeah, because they're, they're spotted it. a mile off. Oh, someone else has read Carol Dweck. But actually, it's just made me think an awful lot, of, including about the sports domain, actually. Because you think about it with kind of, um, we both support football clubs who've had a, a tough time in recent years. You think about how much time a sports team spend. Practicing versus performing. Um, I think it was Ben that first pointed this out to me. Let's just say it's 95% practice and 5% performance. Now let's look at agencies. It's the other way around. I mean, you know, during tough weeks, you're spending 100% of your time performing with mm. no time for practice at all. Mm. No wonder it's difficult to fail. Because you know you're not going to be promoted for saying well, well done on running such a spectacularly bad pitch that you lost it that we're now the laughing stock of Soho, mm-hmm. or well done for losing that account and embarrassing yourself in front of the senior client. You have to you know you have to be on your game all the time in the agency world. But I think fundamentally, if we are to be uh, uh, be be ready for whatever the challenges of the contemporary climate require, to, to have the necessary suite of skills. Um, in order to compete in this ever more complex world, clearly we're going to need to take time out to get trained and to develop ourselves. Mm. Partly the reason why I feel so passionately uh, that the IPA's you know, training and development work is important, but equally within the agency, if you're not practicing, how on earth are you ever going to improve?
0: And you know, um, I've, I've often said this, but um, when you look at when you look at most good agencies, and there are a lot of good agencies, as we said earlier, maybe too many. Uh, the the people and the quality of the people and the ability of the people in those agencies and you know let's not forget agencies are like ninety percent their people there's not a lot between them you know and many of them have worked you know if you're if you're working at Sarge's, you might have you know you might have previously worked at BBH or whatever so a lot of, they've all worked in similar places they've had similar training and yet you get into one environment where the culture is right. And the agency flies, and you, you get into another environment, equally talented people, and for some reason it doesn't take off. So there is clearly there is clearly something in this, you know, that creating that culture, that growth culture, is worth, well, it's worth millions, literally, if you get it right.
1: Absolutely, and without straining the football analogy too much, the same is, of course, true of football teams, where players transfer from one to the other, and the same player in two you know, subsequent seasons kind of a dramatically different performance. But, but I think that, that, that there are certain truisms here. You could say, we call it growth mindset, so you can just say it's good old-fashioned common sense. If you're lucky enough to have been brought up in an agency and, and worked in an agency where the leaders are fantastically talented and generous with their talent, and believe in coaching their talent and giving opportunities to people and letting them try and letting them fail, not necessarily fail to lead a pitch or, or, or convert a piece of business, but in small ways, you know, work their way up. Uh, there's, a, there's a supportive culture and it makes all the difference in the world. And there's a sense of belief that people can do things, that they are capable of doing things, which is why our industry, I think, still is very good at spotting talent and giving younger people extraordinary opportunities they probably wouldn't get in other mm. industries.
0: No, I agree with that. So let's come back to the conference. So um, we, we've got some other interesting, obviously very interesting um, speakers. Uh, Brent Hodgkins is, is from the states, isn't he? He's, he is. he's going to talk. Just let's hear a bit about him. So, I, well, I mean, one of the privileges of being
1: invited to chair a conference is you get to pick people that you really want to hear. Um, and pretty much all of these people are people that I've, I've, I've spent some time with or I've heard speak. And I heard Brent speak at an international conference last year, and he was by far the standout speaker. Um, his uh, business consultancy uh, work with agencies, but they also work with other professional services companies. And Brent was very big. Oh, he is very big and the whole notion of us needing to improve our kind of commerciality uh, and our whole vocabulary. So he spoke a little bit about how professional consultancies uh, pitched themselves versus the language and the credentials of creative agencies um, uh, and media agencies. Um, uh, not only was he uh, very astute and, 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 and his observations very keen, but it was very clear to me that if we exposed him to uh, an audience in the UK. Um, there were immediately there would be things that people could leave that conference um, with by way of kind of new tools, new language, and new confidence, uh, and so he was an obvious candidate for, for, for the agenda.
0: That sounds brilliant, um, and also we're going to hear from some newer agency models, aren't we? Um, I think that's always interesting because when people re they they relaunch themselves, uh, they start an agency. Uh, it's an opportunity to really do things differently, isn't it?
1: Um, It it really is. I I have to say, for a very creative industry, I think sometimes agencies can be awfully conservative. Um, It's not to say we're incapable of innovation, but sometimes the most uh, interesting innovation, as you say, are the new companies who are coming through. And I think because of the challenges uh, in the commercial environment that we were talking about earlier, this has almost forced some people to go off and do it their way. Um, So uh, we have three in particular... um, uh, the first, the Form Break uh, Collective, uh, set up by um, uh, Amelia um, uh, and one or two other partners. Um, uh, a collective of strategists, I think principally strategists, uh, that have decided to work in different ways. Um, and my understanding is that they're now a couple of years old and they're doing fantastically well. Certainly, I contacted Amelia yesterday uh, and she, was, uh, she said she wasn't free for a few months, which is always a good, uh, a good sign. Uh, The second, David Abraham, I think interesting in all sorts of other regards, I know you know him, um, Paul, Um, interesting because of his own background, you know, uh, a managing partner or CEO of St Luke's in the early days, then over to the Discovery Channel and then Channel 4 as CEO, uh, which is an accomplishment in its own right, and then bringing, if, if you like, both strands of his history together. To create Wonderhood Studios, uh, a new agency that seeks to bridge both worlds and make the best of the kind of production company and um, broadcast opportunities as well as the advertising ones. Uh, how will he be doing that? Um, uh, that's what we'll we look forward to finding out. I've had a bit of a preview of that. It's, it's fascinating. Um, uh, and finally, um, if uh, what Amelia is to um, to strategy, Chris Clark is to uh, creative. Uh, Chris Clark, former global um, Chief Creative Officer of uh, Digitas LBI, uh, who has joined a collective called the Group of Humans, um, who again seek to bring their creative smarts uh, to client problems by collaborating uh, in interesting and new ways. Again, like Form Break Collective, they have no office, they don't have a network in the form that networks of yesteryear would recognise, but in their own way they're seeking to make a difference to their clients um, and, uh, and break a
0: bunch of rules. Well, I mean, I think you know, all the agencies out there need to find out what these guys are doing, not least because they're going to be competing with them. Uh, so it gives you a, a little bit of a heads up if you can if you can hear about how they're going going about things. Um, and I agree. Um, the, the David Abraham story is particularly interesting because there's been so much conversation about content mm. uh, and advertising, and I think he, at least from what I've heard. Uh, he's got the best shot of making that fusion, if you mm. like, between the mm. two, two works. So that would be a fascinating session. So all, all up, it looks like it's going to be a, uh, a great day. Um, it's not until July, so we got... Well, hopefully our podcast will will whet the appetite of a few people, as I said earlier. Um, do you think that these sorts of conferences uh, often... I mean, I've been to them, you've been to them... Uh, it's often the case that you might just take two or three thoughts out of them. I mean, they'll be interesting in themselves, but isn't it funny how you just, you hear something and the light goes on and you think, why haven't we done that? That's Mm. just, Mm. that's such an obvious thing. So we'll be hoping for some of that, I'm sure.
1: I think we will. I mean, I think there's something just about taking time out of the day to day. I mean, you and I have done at least a couple of different trips, IPA trips to Silicon Valley together just leaving your regular environment, going to a different environment and listening to intelligent people. I, you know, I filled at least one notebook on a trip like that, uh, if not twice. I feel the same about this conference. I went to it two years ago for the first time. I'm embarrassed to say I'd never heard of it before. Uh, I only went for a session, uh, but absolutely loved it. Last year I went for the whole thing uh, and chaired a session. Um, I genuinely think that delegates can be taking something from each of these um, individual speakers and although you haven't asked me, I'm just going to make a plug for two of the other sessions. One where we're hearing from a client who is former agency in the form of Lisa Thomas uh, about what growth means at Virgin. And I think that will be fascinating because we've got to understand the language and mindsets of our clients. And the other is we'll be un- unveiling a piece of original research um, commissioned by the IPA uh, Uh, that really centres on what um, agencies and the agency world can learn from other professional services firms. So actually quite an extensive piece of research that we've funded through a specialist research partner in the form of Manifesto Growth, Um, uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing that.
0: That would be brilliant. And thanks for reminding me about Lisa, because I I know Lisa well, and I think you can't get enough of someone who's lived in our world telling you what it's really like, on the other side of the divide, you know, working for advertisers. And as unconventional as uh, as Virgin might be, they're still at the end of the day an advertiser and a client and they have expectations from agencies. So I think, you know, that's bound to be fascinating for, for all of those reasons. Well, look, Mark, it, it sounds like it's going to be a great, a great day. Uh, thank you so much for uh, organising it. Pleasure. Uh, I'm looking forward enormously to... Uh, you know, hearing from some of these people and and from you, uh, and your your own successful agency, which uh, goes from strength to strength. You you seem to be bucking the trend. What's your secret sauce? I actually am really optimistic
1: uh, about the future. Yes, there are all these challenges, but I genuinely think for creative businesses that know how to put a value on what they do, the demand has never been greater, um, and uh, and so uh, it's a pleasure to lead a business like that.
0: Well, I think. Just as a final point and agreeing with you, we've been doing a lot of work with Isba on what we call rather grandly sustainable relationships. And as a consequence of that, we've been in the room with lots of clients. And it's quite obvious that they do accept that they need to pay for the best agencies and the best people. And it, it's, so, it's so not the story one hears in the round, you know. but when you do get in front of people, and, and it doesn't really surprise me because we know in our own personal lives if you're buying anything for yourself, you want to buy the best, you know. You don't you don't sort of, if you've got your own firm, you don't try and get the cheapest employees, do you? And yet we're hearing that too many clients are trying to do that with agencies. So it's been very encouraging and I, and I think there are reasons to be optimistic. So once again, thanks, Mark. Pleasure. And let's look forward to the day. Well, I hope you agree that we have a terrific conference to look forward to in July. If you'd like to reserve tickets, and I must say, it's been a sellout for the last two years, so it might be a good idea. Please go to the IPA website and let us know. This has been Paul Baines Spam, and this has been the IPA Podcast.